This week, I talked to Wendy Brower, a leadership and transformation coach. We go into her experience with developing social and emotional intelligence in kids in schools, uh, how culture plays a role in our mental and emotional health, how to connect back to our intuition and body's feelings in order to get out of being stuck in our heads, and why emotional intelligence is one of the important factors for our general well-being. If it's your first time being here and listening in on the podcast, welcome. My name is Victor Ong. This is the Human Up podcast where I am documenting my journey in learning about emotional intelligence in the tools and methods to increase that within ourselves so that we can learn how to better manage our emotions, better identify what they mean for us, and how to use them in a way that's productive for our lives rather than harming it. I've been interested in the fact that a lot of our schools growing up, especially for me, lacked this education and space to improve on our own emotional and mental well-being. And that was one of the reasons for why I thought it'd be great to connect with Wendy, to talk a little bit more about her work in education and her training in social and emotional intelligence and what she's doing now in the business that she's starting and the clients that she works with in in improving their own well-being as well. So let's just get into the episode right after a message from my sponsor. First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that I've honestly been cultured and, and kind of pressured to, to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without Anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to, to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a, a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and, and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. Great. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Wendy. Uh, it's good to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's really, um, it's a, uh... It's a conversation I've been looking forward to because I've been working my way through your podcast. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. yeah enjoying uh, the interviews that I'm hearing there. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just for a little more context there, too, it's I've just been something emotional intelligence in general is something I've just been interested in a lot and um, something that I felt like wasn't necessarily uh provided as a, a space for me to learn more about uh, growing up especially in in schools and in the environments I was raised around so um that would be really cool to connect with you and I found you through um the Facebook group was it Uncaged Lifers right I think so yeah yeah yep. um 
which is a really cool community of, of people and coaches and, and entrepreneurs that are making social impact there. So, um, and I was, uh, I, I connected with you in particular for being, uh, you know, a, a rare, <laughs> rare sort of breed in, in coaching space in the wellness space as being like, uh, from coming from Asian descent and, uh, you know, something that I think a lot of Asian families, um, aren't necessarily comfortable talking about in terms of mental and emotional health. So, um, so again, good to have you here, uh, to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Well, I guess we can kind of start with, uh, sort of your background and, um, as far as I know, you were like in the, the schooling kind of educational field and doing a lot of work there and helping kids with emotional intelligence. So maybe just, just take us through, uh, your, your background around that. I worked at a great school called Prospect Sierra School in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's um, in El Cerrito. And it's a kindergarten through eighth grade. And what's beautiful there is they really walk the talk and they do a lot of research before they bring in the curriculum and they have a finger on the pulse of what kids need. And, um, you know, early on when I was there, uh, the teachers developed their own program for teaching social emotional um, intelligence. Um, it wasn't called anything, it was just a homegrown program. And the need for it came because they noticed there's a lot of conflict on the playgrounds and teachers were having to intervene a lot, but they're really trying hard to like teach the kids how to um, have better conflict management skills. And um, at the time there was a program called uh, Toolbox, which is by a company called Dovetail Learning. And it's really simple. It like, it's basically a toolbox, you know, metaphor, but um, you know, there's activities that kids we're very young. I mean, five years old, you know, can, can get it. And it's really simple for parents to get it too. And it's, what's your personal space? You know, um, how do you take a deep breath? Um, a garbage can icon might symbolize a garbage can word. It's like words that you want to say to someone, but maybe those belong in the garbage can instead of in someone else's ears. Right. I mean, these are all just smart, um, life skills that, um, people need to have and schools you know in the late 90s early 2000s started teaching them with intentionality and the school also um actually uh is partnered or you know uses a program called the ruler program out of the yale um center for emotional intelligence and it breaks it down even more like you know we get stuck thinking that feelings are anger, sadness, you know, happiness, and we're limited by that. And um, the program actually teaches kids and the adults, right? The adults are also going through it for the first time, that there's such um, a spectrum of our emotions. And so um, there's a lot of tools that got brought into the classroom. And and that's amazing, because I, I think that as I think back into my, you know, into when I was growing up, that was something i wasn't given like I you know yeah like as you're saying like we just had a basic sense of our emotions and and felt like oh if we feel a certain way that it's generically anger or generically sadness but like if we were able to dive into that and and you know specify what that particular emotion is we can learn how to uh sort of manage conflict not just within other people but especially within ourselves as well so that's cool that um, you're, you were part of that work. 
And there's just so much more forgiveness that comes of it. Cause when you realize that there's a bigger, broader spectrum of like humanity of how you can be, you know, as a person with others, then you're like, Oh, well, that, you know, um, there's something to learn here. There's something to learn from someone else's experience. Right. I, I'm, I'm curious how you like kind of found yourself doing this. Is that something that you had just like a lot of background around in terms of education or um, yeah. How, how did you get into that? Um, well, I think my journey began when I became a parent myself. Um, I grew up the way that I grew up, you know, exactly the way you described, having certain um, emotions as sort of being the big buckets that we dumped all of our emotional, you know, um, definitions into. But once I had my son, I realized how angry I was inside and how easily I lost my temper. And just one day I realized, like, I didn't want to be that angry person anymore. It's almost like I just literally woke up and I realized I didn't want to pass it on to my kids. I didn't want him to be raised in an environment where there's yelling or um, easily lost tempers. Um, and, and so I kind of, I went to therapy, you know, I went and found someone who had um, ways of helping me kind of recognize what my anger triggers were and how to, um, how to rewire my brain and, and my, my narrative around um, why I was so angry. And once I could soften and recognize it, then the work got really deep, you know, and rich and exciting. Cause it's like underneath anger is a lot of other stuff, right? Like, like fear, sadness, grief. Um, I grieved, I grieved some things that happened, you know, growing up that, I think helped me back in my own development for years. And, um, and so it was a big personal journey to um, find a healthy space for me to be, you know, how to be a healthy mom, healthy um, woman. And then in education, honestly, I was very lucky to land in a place and timing in education where social emotional teaching was huge and um, valued. And there was a lot of training for the faculty and staff. And the school that I was at believed in it enough that um, we had a saying called everyone with a face. So everyone with a face was part of the training and took responsibility for the culture. And I learned a lot while I was there. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's a very human thing. Like we are social, emotional beings. And it's, it's funny that that wasn't part of our education for so long. Um, but that's that's cool that you're doing that. So what what kind of as as you were working with these kids to develop that, then what kind of things have you started seeing, or, or what kind of improvements have you seen in their lives, or in the, how they communicate with each other and whatnot? We've actually had um, a teacher who had taught at the school before the curriculum was implemented, and then she went on maternity leave for a few years, and when she came back to teach, she was kind of wowed by the difference that she saw in the culture like she could feel the difference on the playground and um you know kindness is you know ruled and there were visual elements of um being connected as a community like there was a gratitude wall in the middle of the hallway and with post-its and anybody who walked by could note something nice that someone did you know and put it out in a public place and kids had better tools and better language. They learned, you know, to use I statements. 
you know, they learn to um, just also like find their voice and have advocacy for themselves so that they didn't have to wait for a teacher to intervene and kids learned about being allies. So if you see something wrong or someone is bullying or teasing someone else, like who are you gonna be in that space? You know, um, are you gonna step in? And, and we gave them concrete tools of how to do it, right? Um, it didn't just happen overnight. Right, right. No, that's great. I mean, I just kind of think about myself again and how like I, that sort of assertiveness, right, to like stand for your own, to to like stand behind what you do care about and, and what really does affect you and how you feel is, is really, it's a tough thing to do all the time. So um, to have the tools around that, what what kind of tools, maybe just like real quickly, like one thing, maybe one or two things that help help people do that? Well, I'm, I've learned through my work through the years um, that I'm very like somatically inclined, meaning like I'm very um, in touch with my body and I'm very in touch with um, the signals, you know, that my body's giving me and to pay attention to that. And I call it body wisdom. And, um, it, you know, the signals are there if we slow down enough to pay attention. And I think one of the tools that I find very useful is that when you get triggered and you're getting riled up and you feel like you want to have a response that maybe is too immature for you now, or it feels old, but familiar, um, to just give yourself time, like go through your breath, you know, get grounded. Your breath will like connect you back to your body. And then like, it's a, there's an ability to ground yourself and then ask like, what, what's happening right now? You know, what, what is this really about? And so that there's a deep dive underneath the feeling to try to tap into something else that's bothering you, if you can name that, you know, um, then you have a little bit more information to work with. And um, I think the trick is how do you shorten your response time, you know, and have it become more and more reflexive over time. Um, and in doing that, it allows you to be more present in the present moment, because then you're not lost with dealing with this big emotional overload or this big emotion, right? Like you're present. And I also find then I don't have to apologize as much or I don't have to like make amends and spend all that time and energy. Like I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm trying to show up um, in the moment right now. That's, that's great. I think that's something, as you were mentioning, yeah, that's something that's uh it's a muscle that you have to train. It, it's absolutely in the beginning, it's going to be hard to really like tap into that and, and respond quickly but it's again you have to you have to constantly work on that um and we but, have to be kind to ourselves like not give up you know you know try and it's every time you have a new conversation with someone it's just another opportunity to practice and right. and then to recognize when you're not doing it well to be vulnerable and say you know i'm working on this and and forgiving to yourself and loving to yourself right yeah, something I personally struggled with for a long time, <laughs> being raised in. And I guess, uh, so yeah, we can get into how you do the, the body work and intuition work in a bit. But I wanted to kind of go into the um, the cultural aspects because like me being raised uh, in an Asian household and, and around uh, a sort of limited sense of masculinity and in how men were portrayed and Asian men were portrayed in media, like a lot of that, um, that, that, that comfort 
and safe space to feel vulnerable, to be able to be expressive, to be able to, um, you know, slow down and really tap into how we were feeling. Like that was something I never thought that I, you know, would have valued at all. Um, I, you know, I was definitely told that those were, you know, those were signs of weakness and that it was, there's a sense of wanting to make sure that what we're, what we're working on is something that's tangible and grounded and real. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and so like talking about feelings and emotions were, were so kind of abstract that, uh, that it was hard to connect with. And, um, but from, from an Asian side there, that was something, you know, a, a lot of the times, but everyone around me was, um, had around a, a stigma around mental mental health and and you know the importance of it so my question here then is like what how did you sort of balance that in terms of you know in terms of your culture and then going what was your process in going into therapy and um being able to develop that comfort around that as as it pertains to your culture um <clears throat> I, had, I totally remember like when I was in high school my mom and I didn't get along very well when I was in high school I think I was feeling very constricted, which is normal for a lot of teenagers, but I think you add the cultural piece on there. And I felt like I was constantly um, being given the message that I shouldn't be myself, that I should be someone that, that, you know, others had expectations that I, that I be right. And so I felt so uncomfortable, you know, going through high school. And I felt like it was just like push, pull, push, pull, of like, no, I want to be myself. No, I have to fit in, you know? And, and it wasn't until I got older that I really gave myself permission. Like, let's explore who you are and let's really, you know, give it some space and time in your life and, and see what happens and comes out, you know? And um, so I had some innate, like, I don't know, I call it like survival instinct, but I remember when things got hot, like I asked my mom, I'm like, I somehow knew that therapy was a solution I don't know where that came from because I don't think I knew any friends who were in therapy or, or parents or friends you know um, but I asked my mom if I could go to therapy and she was like mortified and told me that no way ever you know it was a sign of weakness you know we don't do that and I actually had um, a friend's you know family where um, when she was in college her her younger brother was at camp and was ideating um, suicide. And it wasn't, it wasn't a threat or anything, but ideating enough that the camp, you know, counselors, people who led the camp sent him home. And from what I understand, like there's no conversation about it at home. Like there was no follow-up. There was no, we needed to get this checked out. There's no conversation even with the brother. So that that's harsh, you know, and I think what happens, um, so I'm Taiwanese, but I lived in Japan and I, you know, I'm familiar with Japanese culture too. There's a lot of like holding in and kind of um, sucking it up or in Japanese, you'd say gaman suru. Like you, you're like, you're just holding it all in. And I feel like it's like repressing what you want to say, standing up for yourself, you know, what you really want to be doing. And in a way, it, you know, it plays with your identity. Yeah, that's something I was 
I struggled balancing too, because of course, you know, I, I respect and value the Asian traditions as well. And, and where, where that comes from, where, you know, you, you don't want to, um, you don't want to, you know, stand out too much or like, you know, cause trouble or, um, or, or especially when it comes to, you know, showing vulnerability within your family, that it's a, that now you're, you're, you as a family has, have some mental and emotional struggle. I think there might've been some, uh, assumption or worry that, oh, maybe as like a parent, if your kid is struggling and needed to go therapy, that it's your fault or as a parent or something. And, um, and then that would look bad as a family and, and mm-hmm. everything is connected to that. So it's a very like collectivist, nature in that way where um I think that's why we feel like we have to kind of hold things in a lot of times because it's like this is for I, I gotta I gotta keep this together for my family in a way mm-hmm. yeah and and conscious of you know what you do reflecting back on family's reputation you know um and I believe I mean I believe in that like I love my family you know and I, I think the struggle is like, how do you, how do you differentiate and individuate, which is a normal part of human development, right? That's um, much easier in Western culture, but how do you do that and be authentic to yourself and be in relationship with people you love, you know, Yeah. and not have to sever all ties? Um, you know, I, I have a, um, a woman that I'm starting to work with whose parents are threatening to like disown her, you know, she's in her late thirties. She's a lawyer and she's really unhappy. Um, and she's scared. I don't, you know, who knows what, what her parents really would do or not do. Right. But she's scared and it's paralyzing, you know, and then to be that at that point in adulthood and, you know, it's hard. You know, yeah, if, if there's if we're, you know, do something that it, the parents are not will not approve of. It's that that own of isolate that, that sense of isolation is very threatening. So that's I could that's a, I can I can empathize with that. Um, yeah. What what was something then like as you're going through this therapeutic process and learning about yourself? Uh, what? maybe just quickly like one one thing that maybe is a good summarization of uh how you were before compared to how you are now oh wow (laughs) i i i honestly like myself so much better now than i did it's not like i was a horrible person but i just had this inner rage like i i i carried i could feel the energy like i i lost my temper really quickly you know and it was modeled like i you know it's it's what i lived with um and so uh, uh, you know now god i i rarely get stressed out about anything you know i i rarely raise my voice um i rarely don't have a good night's sleep you know like life is really good <laughs> and i'm proud of having like chosen myself you know and done the work to get there at a certain point I think it's important that we all choose ourselves. So we say, you know, I, I love 
who I am. I love myself and I love myself enough that I'm going to do some brave and scary things in order to, to keep getting there. That's actually, that makes me kind of think about how I think there is a, a lot of pressure in, in, in maybe Asian culture again. And, and I don't like generalizing too much, but it is a common theme that I do hear, not just within myself and but with the friends around me as well, but like this pressure to always have to be, you know, uh, high performing or, or uh, show, you know, just like, just be perfectionist and, and hardworking. Um, and so in terms of this idea of, you know, loving yourself and being enough and, uh, you know, uh, being able to accept sort of approval in a way from the people around you, I think is something that uh, a lot of people would struggle with because of mm -hmm. this sense that we had to always be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, a lot of times we talk about it as our inner critic, right? Those voices in your head that show up and say, you should do this, or you need to be this kind of person, right? Um, and uh, amongst a lot of other things. And, um, you know, the quicker or the more skilled we become at like quieting to first notice those voices, and then taking back your power from those voices, right? And um, that you then create space inside your head to then you go into your body and say, well, now what do I really feel? Now what is this that, that I really want? And then once you're there, you go deeper you know, down into your belly and say, how do I feel about this? You know, am I ready for this? Is this, is, what's my intuition telling me? And then for me, the last step is, am I ready to take action based on my intuition? Am I going to value my intuition and trust it enough to let it guide me to wherever it's telling me to go. And I'd say that's the biggest difference in my life is like I've in the past year gone down that elevator from my head down to my heart, down to my belly, where now it's like this a little bit more spiritual, intangible, like intuition that I can feel it's embodied. And when I feel it, sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's not, but when it's clear, I feel like I owe it to myself to take action on it. And that's, that's hard. You know, I'm doing it now. Um, and it's hard. No, I like that. And, and we, we can definitely get into that. Cause like, uh, you know, I would consider myself in a way too a classic overthinker and, and very head strong. I don't know if that's the right word, but, uh, just very in my head all the time. And so to be able to tap back into our, our inner wisdom that we all know we have just haven't again, exercised it you know it's it's we talk about all this physical health and fitness that we have we don't have this emotional fitness about us to tap into our intuition so how how do you like how do you how do you really what's the process in doing that like if you are maybe stuck in your head all the time like how do you slow down to connect with your intuition again um let's see what's it so there's i think quiet is like a huge um important ingredient to the to doing that um, and to be really tangible, like I turn off all the notifications on my phone, right? Except for phone calls from, you know, important callers that I want uh, to make sure they get through. And then everything else I check on my own schedule, right? Um, and then I turn off my phone or put it away when I'm in presence with another human being. So I try to, you know, literally put it away or I 
put it out of mind so that my mind can quiet and not have that addictive quality where it's a pull towards the technology. Um, and then I think I just did a lot, like I did, I meditated for about a couple of years and I will say I'm not perfect. It was like, I was trying to track on Headspace how many days in a row I could do. And then I switched to daily calm and I tried that. And I, you know, I followed the gamification, but in the end it's like, do I value myself enough to keep this up and make this a practice? Um, and I don't meditate for very long. It's like 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, a day, but, and I don't do it every single day, but I tr it's, it is a practice and it's enough that between that and recognizing when my breath is tight, like I'll notice when I'm holding my breath, that I just got to release it all and let my body chill out and find some quiet. And if there's still that voice in my head, then I'll tune into that and recognize like I'll I'll ask it like where is this coming from whose voice is this you know and then ask it to go away <laughs> yeah it's funny how you mentioned that that tightness is like something maybe if I were to tap into my body right now it is for some reason feeling a little tight feel a little, oh. little nervous probably but no it's uh it's it's just interesting how breath is so important like to be able breath to breath is so important mm -hmm. yeah it's cleansing. It's, um, it's, um, you know, so in, in my, I'll just jump like my coaching right now with clients, like one of the first things I do, I, you know, I call it air, um, air, ground, water, fire, and sky. And so air is like you, how do you take a deep breath and like feel it in your body? And then how do you create breath? Like in quotes, like space around you so that you can find quiet and settle and get to know yourself right and get to tune in um if you think of yourself as like a tuning fork how do you tune in um you know and then the ground is like what does it feel like to feel grounded to really know what being grounded feels like in your body so again through meditation or i do um sort of this embodied leadership um training with this organization called the strozzi institute um and i've seen really powerful work where you um, you know, as people of color, you might stand up and then you want to know what like allyship feels like. You can have someone stand next to you and you're like, no, you're standing too close or you're too far behind me or I, I need you closer. Like, and then you come to a point where your body's giving you the information. This is what feeling supported feels like. Right. This is what having confidence in myself feels like. And so that kind of thing um, gives you just more, like you said, it's practice, you know, like, but it's like slowing things down and having things to notice. I feel, you know, what I tell people, it's like creating your own dictionary of terms, but instead of collecting words, you're collecting um, body wisdom signals, right? Right. Like those little nuances of what does anxiety really feel like? What does fear really feel like? Are there more than one kinds of fear, you know, and there are. And so how do you recognize those? Because when you do that, then you have this Rolodex, like, you know, this file that you can sort through in your body and you get to solutions, joy, openness that much more quickly than you would otherwise. Yeah, I just like to like the idea of because emotions are definitely a very real thing, but to make it more tangible, to make it relate to something that we can actually uh just 
like actually feel and 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 have a more tangible sense to it so i like that i like that you have the five elements there maybe maybe you can go into a little more on what you're doing around that and what your program consists of and what, what how you take people through this whole process yeah i mean i you know i, I call my program unbound and it's unbound um coaching of individuals i'm putting together you know a group where people can um also be in community with each other as you go through a process. But it's really, you know, personal development, um, self-development. And my goal is to get people to a stage where they they embody what it feels like to feel free. They're psychologically and emotionally grounded and free so that then they can um, stand. And I have this um, part of the work is um, called a threshold. So I believe that we have to create rituals in our lives to like give our some, give us ourselves something to anchor onto and to remember, right? And so um, to get to a point where they feel free and they're grounded and they're taking ownership of their lives, we've cleared out things and they know what they want. And at that point, having a threshold, like I'm, cl- I'm stepping over this threshold and it could be, you know, like a vision quest in nature. It could be something that they create for themselves at home if it's like a remote client. Um, but then you are consciously committing to something new. You know, I commit that I'm going to live an intentional life, that I'm in charge of my life, that I can still be loving and kind and, you know, a good son or daughter with my family. You know, I can still have all of that. I'm just better equipped and have a better and have better strategies for making all that happen. Yeah. So what what are who are the kind of the typical people that that you you work with then and and what kind of results do you start seeing after having gone through you know having these these tools i would say that um right now my clients are either in their early 30s in the 30s um people who are looking for like career transition or um unhappy unhappy in their career um or um, living with their parents or in a relationship with their parents where they're locked in a dance where they know they're not living their life, but they don't know what to do. They, they're still immersed in their parents' voices, um, mostly like cultural imprinting. Um, and they're, they're like shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller. And like, they don't know what they they want to do. Um, and, or, um, older, um, clients who are working through, you know, career transitions or life transitions. And what I find is it's confidence that people are looking for. Like how, how do I overcome this fear of failure? How do I overcome this fear of um, disappointing my family? You know, um, if I want to take a risk and, and believe in myself, what if I fail? You know, how do I save face, you know, in doing it? And there's a financial piece too. How do I support myself? doing what I want to do and coming up with a plan for that, right? So the impact is, I, it's almost like I can feel clients like a little bit with their head down when they come in the door, you know, they, they're, they're tired energetically and they're, um, there's not as much hope or optimism that change can happen. But I love seeing the transformation where they lift their heads up you know, sort of metaphorically and really and realistically, and then you can start making eye contact with them and you start seeing the whole person there and they're showing up again. And like, this is the work that really like touches me, you know? 
Because then you know that that person is going to take the ball and run. And they're going to be brave enough. Like the filter I have is like, are you making decisions right now that make you feel brave and proud? Like, right. And that, that gives you a little growth, you know, and stretch. And ultimately, like, you're trying to please yourself. So if you're proud of yourself, like, you've done it, right? You don't need other people to be proud of you. You've done it. I, I love that. I'm just, I'm, it's kind of why I'm, I'm really interested in going into coaching myself, right? And to help people, you know, open up in a way uh, that, that I'm starting to experience for sure in, in terms of breaking out of this, you know, this, I guess it, to, to relate to your, your program now, like being bounded, like being restricted in a lot of ways. And so uh, to, to expand, um, you know, just perspectives and, and how you not only see the world, but how you see yourself is, is nothing but good. So um, really appreciate the work that you're doing there. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, the name, you know, it came from the feeling, but it also came from my um, realizing that my great grandmother on both sides of my family had great grandmothers who both had bound feet, which, you know, is a good thing in Chinese culture. You know, back in the time, it meant that there's some status or privilege in the family. But the metaphor of, you know, these women who live their lives with bound feet, even if they were happy and cared for and so forth like the the pain and suffering of that and then the metaphorical like in my lineage you know there was binding which then gets passed on you know in storytelling and in um you know i think you know research now is showing like you know you hold trauma in your body right it gets passed on through generations and so um you know i i visualize myself like taking the binds off you know her feet my great-grandmother's feet right and and like serving her and freeing her and and um making right you know like i guess it's making a commitment to myself that um the that kind of trauma that kind of binding can stop with me first as a parent so i'm not passing that on to my kids and then in service of other people yeah, um, I, that's that's amazing that people used to do that, bind their feet together. What was the? I just this is maybe not too far of a side topic here, but like why <laughs> why do why do people do that? Is that like out of just tradition in general, or it was tradition? It was you know I think you know a certain class would do it, and one it prevented the woman from being able to run away, right? Literally. Mm. Um, it was considered, you know, attractive to see a woman walk a certain way when her feet were bound. But when I was researching this and I was online and came across all these pictures of bound feet, it was horrific. I mean, what happened? Basically, the foot, you know, broke. And I mean, it was just, and, and they would do it to young girls, you know, so that their feet grew inside these bindings. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a societal cultural overlay that says this was beautiful and that this was right. And this is okay. You know? Um, and, and I can accept that. I just, I just feel like we're all put on this earth to, um, to each, you know, show up and be our unique selves and do our things. And, and I think that this sense of being bound is strong enough that it just prevents that to authentically happen for way too many people. 
and not just Asian, not just Chinese. Right. Wow. Yeah. And um, so I guess, it, and we're coming up on our time here, but I, I, it's, it's such, it's still very abstract though, to be able to really, um, to, to really, what, what does it really mean to live freely? And, and is that just, are, are there systems in place or structures that are containing us or is it just our own mental barriers or social barriers or whatnot? So there's a lot that kind of goes in that, but. Um, How would you answer that for yourself? What do you think? That's a great, I mean, I think that's, um, I think it's, it's a balance between the awareness of how systems play a role in, in our world. Obviously that's how, you know, that's how we maintain structure and whatnot. But at the same time, if it, if we are externalizing that or, or blaming other outside, you know, structures, then, then it kind of disempowers ourselves and, and our own, you know, um, sense of responsibility to be able to do something about it. Right. So, um, it's both, it's, it's just an awareness of how, you know, things do play a role in, in outside or how outside factors do play a role in how you think, but at the same time, taking in your own responsibility to really understand how you're feeling and, and what your emotions mean to you. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, when we're raised, you know, in a, a family culture or a school's system or um, society that, you know, uh, has a certain set of norms, um, it feels like there's no filter. It feels like it's just osmosis. You're intended to like soak it all up and take it in without questioning. Like that's what acculturation is, right? Like you're, you're, you're meant to learn that way. Um, and I think what free feels like to me is that I've created I've put some filters up around me, you know, to create some space around me, between me and the acculturation, wherever I am, so that I get a chance to filter for myself, like what gets in and what stays out. And then I hold myself to the same level of responsibility in terms of what do I put out so that I'm not putting out energy, saying things that are hurtful, like that my intent is like as pure non-judgmental, open, accepting to whomever I'm working with, you know, or in, in contact with as possible, you know, like, how do you stand up for yourself and what you want? And how do you be accepting of others? I love it. I love it. Um, what, what are you most excited about now? Like, how do you see the future going? And, and um, what do you imagine your role is in that as well? Well, I think first off, like I have three kids and um, they're, you know, one's almost out of high school and two are in college or one's out of college now. And so I feel very proud that I've put three human beings into the world who are emotionally, you know, intelligent and grounded. And I'd say the emotion's important, but communication skills is important too, right? How do you communicate about the emotions that you're having? So they, um, have been equipped, not just through, you know, parenting at home, but through programs that they've had the chance to be a part of extracurricularly and in school. And um, there's a, a fabulous program called um, Stepping Stones Project. It pulls from, um, you know, being in nature, being in community, but it also marks the rite of passage from um, youth to young adulthood. And it 
it puts them in community with other teachers and mentors who are not your parents so that there's sort of this village that you know is raising your kids and so he, they were my boys at least were able to have a lot of like what i call drop down dropping in conversations where they could be their authentic selves as young men with other young men and um leaders in their 30s and they they got to be really vulnerable and really real and hold space for each other you know and it's beautiful um so that you know those pro like programs like that exist conversations like that are starting to happen in schools schools are becoming more safe spaces to to um be your authentic self and my wish is that more parents understand the value and the importance of seeing your child as a whole human being from when they're born you don't need to you know keep giving them a lot of stuff and stuffing them with information the information is all out there it's like how do you let them blossom how do you be the container around them that lets them peel off as many layers that other people are putting on them so that their real self keeps emerging, emerging, emerging through the years that you're lucky to have them with you, you know? So I think, I think my wish is for parents to really get it and take time and, and value time with their kids, value quality time, value being present, making that connection. Cause that connection is I think the point of being a parent. Yeah. And, and just human in general, you know, I think that makes me think, and, and you mentioned this a little bit ago about how like uh, in order to really connect back to ourselves, it's to also disconnect from technology as well. And I think that plays, that's kind of a lot of what I'm exploring recently is, you know, how coming from the technology world myself, like how does technology play a role in, um, in being human and how our humanity shows up. And so uh you know, to really uh, disengage from that tech in order to, you know, really connect with those around you with, as a parent, as a, you know, as a partner, as a friend. Um, so uh, that's just something that's a, that's a nice wish to have. And I, and I really, I, I hope you can keep continuing that journey and helping parents and, and people in general to connect uh, more deeply. Yeah. 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 And I know we're, we're short on time. So how, how can people then find you to learn more information about what you do? And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. They can go to um, my uh, website for my program, which is um, unboundproductions.com. And, um, and there's a way to contact me through there. Perfect. Um, Thank you so much for spending the time here. Uh, there's, I, I wish we can talk a little more and dive into a lot of different topics that we hit upon there, yeah. but uh, thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Wendy Brower. We hit on a lot of different topics there and, and about how emotional intelligence can have a huge impact in so many areas of our lives. And, and why it's important for not only us as individuals and as humans, but in society and in our education system and in culture as well. If you had learned anything in this episode or had anything resonate with you, I'd, I'd really love to hear it. Um, I'm still starting out my podcasting journey here and I'll take any feedback that I can get at this point. 
you know, let me have it. Give me your best and worst feedback and, and let me know what you think. So you can leave a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Stitcher. Otherwise, don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever streaming platform you're using right now. And if you want to learn more about me, you can visit me at victorung, victorung.com. There you'll find a link to my blog um, and all the different topics that I've been exploring as well. You can also subscribe to this podcast and my blog at victorung.com slash subscribe. And when you subscribe, you also get the 11 exercises that I've collected to sort of jumpstart your emotional intelligence journey as well. And lastly, you can also reach out to me on Instagram at underscore victorung. Thank you so much for listening to the Human Up podcast. I really appreciate you being here, and I will catch you next Monday. See ya.